Thank you. Beautiful. Happy Mother's Day, Mother. Y'all come down right here for a second. Let's talk to you. Okay. What a, <clears throat> what a wonderful Mother's Day gift that was. The beautiful voices, the two children's choirs coming together. Hey, so what is today? Does anybody remember? Mother's, Mother's Day, that's right. Uh, and what season are we still in? Easter. Easter. Yeah, one more week after this, and then we'll be through with the Easter season and move into Pentecost and, and keep going from there. So, so, what are you going to do for your mothers today? Have you thought about it? Yes. What, what do you think? I'm going to do what I did last year. You're going to do what you did last year? What did you do? Um, my mom was still sleeping, and then we, still, and we made a fruit salad. You made a fruit salad for her last year? Yeah. While she was still sleeping? Well, I, I hate to tell you this, but when you get home, your mom's not going to be sleeping because she's sitting right back there. I know. <laughs> Maybe dinner. No. You don't know how to make dinner? I, I tell you, I give you the best, you, you, the best gift you can give to your mom. Do you know what it is? You know what the best gift you can give? You know what the best gift you can give your mama? If she tells you to do anything today, you say, yes, ma'am, and do it. If she tells you to do anything today, you say, yes, ma'am, and you do it. And that would be a great Mother's Day gift for her. Because I tell you what, do you love your moms? Yeah. Then you will obey her. But, that was, but that's what we should do every day. Well, you should do that every day. But how many times do we not do that every day, right? Every day. Every day we should. So, so if we love our moms... We obey them. We do what they ask us to do. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey me. And Jesus will never tell us anything to do anything that's bad for us ever, ever, ever. So if you love me, obey me. Mom says, would you do this for me today? Yes, ma'am. And go do it. That would be one of the best presents she can get. Okay? Will you do that? Raise your right hand. Everybody raise your right hand. If my mom tells me to do anything today, I will say, yes, ma'am, and do it. Okay. I'm going to talk to your moms next week just to see, okay? No, you don't have to repeat that. All right, thank you. Get up. Thank you for singing for us today. Good job.
So there was a teacher who gave her class of second graders uh, a teaching lesson on a magnet, M-A-G-N-E-T, and what the magnet does. And the next day in a written test, she included this question. My full name has six letters. The first one is M. I am strong. I am attractive. I pick up things. What am I? And when the 10 uh, test papers were turned in, the teacher was astonished to find that almost 50% of the students answered the question with the word mother. <laughs> mother. Happy Mother's Day, mothers. You are strong, you are attractive, and yes, we know you pick up things all the time. On the outskirts of town, there was a big old pecan tree by the cemetery fence. One day, two kids filled up a bucket of nuts, and they sat down there by the tree out of sight, and they began dividing the nuts. One for you, one for me, one for you, one for me, said the boy. Several of the nuts were dropped, and they rolled down the hill toward the gate. Another boy came riding along on his bicycle. As he passed, he thought he heard voices from inside the cemetery, and he slowed down to investigate. Sure enough, he heard one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. He just knew what it was. Oh my gosh, he shuddered. It's the devil and the Lord dividing the souls in the cemetery. And he jumped back on his bicycle, rode off as fast as he could. And just around the corner, he met an old man with a cane hobbling along. And the boy said to the old man, come here quick. You won't believe what I heard. The devil and the Lord, they're down at the cemetery and they're dividing up the souls. And the man said, beat it, kid. Can't you see it's hard for me to walk? When the boy insisted, the man hobbled down to the cemetery. Standing by the fence, they heard, one for me, one for you, one for me, one for you. And the old man whispered, boy, you've been telling the truth. Let's see if we can see the devil himself. And shaking with fear, they peered through the gate, yet were still unable to see anything. The old man and the boy, they gripped the wrought iron bars of the gate tighter and tighter as they tried to get a glimpse of Satan. And at last they heard, one for you, one for me, and the last one for you. That's all. Now let's go get those nuts down by the gate and we will be done. And I don't know if it's true, but they say that that old guy made it back to town before the boy did on his bicycle. Uh, before I go any further, I'd like to give credit to Max Lucado for giving me the idea for this sermon. I sometimes use his writings in my morning devotions, and there are some things that just seem to hit home, and I hope this morning it hits home for you as well. I'd like to invite you to come with me to what is probably the most populated prison in all the world. This facility has more inmates than it does bunks. It has more prisoners than it does resources. And I want you to come with me to the world's most oppressive 
prison, ask any one of the inmates and they will tell you they are overworked, they are underfed, their walls are bare, their bunks are hard. No prison is more populated, no prison is more oppressive, and what's more, no prison is more permanent than this prison. Most inmates never leave. They never escape. They never get released. They serve a life sentence in this overcrowded, under-provisioned facility. The name of this prison, if you look, you will see it right there over the entrance, rainbowed over the gate in cast iron letters, is the name of the prison, W-A-N-T, the prison of want. Every one of you have seen her prisoners. They are in want. They want something. They want something bigger. They want something nicer. They want something faster. They want something thinner. They want. It's not that they want much, mind you. They just want one thing, one new house, one new job, one new car, one new spouse. They don't want much. They just want one. And when they have one, they say they will be happy. And they are right. They will be happy. When they have one, they will leave the prison. But then it happens almost every time. The new car smell passes. The new job, it gets old. The neighbors, they go out and they buy a, lar a larger television set. The new spouse has bad habits. The sizzle fizzles. And before you know it, another ex-con breaks parole and returns back to the jail. Maybe you are in this prison. You are if you feel better when you have more and feel worse when you have less. You are in this prison if joy and happiness is only one transfer away one award away, one makeover away. If your happiness comes from something you deposit or something you drive or something you drink or something you digest, then face it, you are in this prison, the prison of want. St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians, in the end, they will be destroyed. They do whatever their bodies want. They are proud of their shameful acts and they think only about earthly things. That's the scary news, folks. That's the bad news today. But the good news is that you have a visitor and your visitor has a message that can get you paroled. So what I want you to do is to make your way to the receiving room in this prison of want. And I want you to take your seat in the chair and look across the table at your visitor and know it's not Jesus, not this time. It's the psalmist, it's David, it's King David. You're sitting there across from King David at the table and he motions for you to lean forward a little bit. And as you do, he whispers, I have a secret to tell you. 
It is the secret of satisfaction. Listen, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It seems that David has found the pasture where discontent goes to die. It's as if he's saying, what I have in God is greater than what I don't have in life. Maybe it's possible that you and I could learn the same lesson. And I know, believe me, I know that contentment and satisfaction is a difficult virtue. And I'll tell you why it's so difficult. Because there is nothing on earth that can satisfy our deepest longings. Nothing on earth. No matter how hard we try to fill this longing we have with temporary things, we will never ever succeed. Because what we long for truly is God. And we will never be satisfied until we stand before him face to face. And when God becomes our greatest desire, what we experience is true freedom. And we come to that place, which by the way, can be a lifelong journey where we don't want for anything because nothing compared with knowing and loving God. And we begin to trust him to meet our needs. I want you to think for just a moment about the things that you own. Think about the house you live in, the car you drive, the money you've saved Think about the jewelry you've inherited, the stocks you've traded, the clothes you've purchased. Envision all of your stuff, and let me remind you of two biblical truths. First of all, that stuff, all that stuff is not yours. Ask any coroner, ask any funeral home director. No one takes anything with them. One of the wealthiest men in history, when he died, John D. Rockefeller, his accountant was asked, how much did John D. have? Or how much did, wait, let me see what he says. How much did he leave? And the accountant replied, all of it. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us people come into this world with nothing, and when they die, they leave with nothing. In spite of all their hard work, they leave just as they came. And you know what else about all that stuff? It's not you. All that stuff you claim to own is not you. Who you are has absolutely nothing to do with the clothes you wear or with the car you drive. Jesus said, life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a whole lot. Heaven does not know you as the fellow with the nice suit. Heaven does not know you as the woman with the big house. Heaven does not know you as the kid with the brand new bike. Heaven knows your heart. When God thinks of you, he sees your compassion, your devotion, your piety, your tenderness but he does not think of your things. And when you think of you, you shouldn't think of your things either. Because when you define yourself by your stuff, 
You feel good when you have a whole lot, and you feel bad when you don't. There's a story about a missionary on the island of Tobago. And on the final day of the missionary's stay on that island, uh, he was leading a worship service in a leper colony. And he asked if anyone had any favorite songs. And when he did, a woman turned around and he saw the most defigured face he'd ever seen in his life. She had no ears, no nose, no lips. But she raised her fingerless hand and she asked, could we sing Count Your Many Blessings? The missionary started the song, but he couldn't finish it. Someone later commented, I suppose you'll never be able to sing that song again. And he answered, no, I will sing it again. I just won't sing it the same way. So what is that one thing separating you from having joy? How do you fill in the blank? I will be happy when... I will be happy when I'm healed. I will be happy when I'm promoted, when I'm married, when I'm single, when I'm rich. How would you finish that statement? If your ship never comes in, if your dream never comes true, if any given situation never changes your life, can you be happy? Can you be joyful? If not, then you are sleeping in the cold cell of discontent and you are in prison. And in order to get out of that oppressive prison, you truly need to know who your shepherd is so that you can surrender your discontentment to him. Max Lucado in his book, A Gentle Thunder, says, for all of its peculiarities, I never can say that word, and unevenness, the Bible has a simple story. God made man, man rejected God. God won't give up until he wins him back. God will whisper, he will shout, he will touch, he will tug, he will take away our burdens, he will even take away our blessings. If there are a thousand steps between us and him, he will take every single step except for one. He will always leave the final step to us. The choice is ours. Please understand, Lucado says, God's goal is not to make you happy. His goal is to make you his. His goal is not to get you what you want. His goal is to get you what you need. And when we surrender our discontentment to God, not only do we receive freedom from this prison called want, but we may just gain again our marriage. And we may just gain precious hours with our children. We may just gain our self-respect. We may just gain a joy we've never known before. We may just gain the faith to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. In your prayer time this week, when you're all alone, try praying these words slowly. The Lord is my shepherd shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
I shall not be in want. And if you listen close while you're praying, you might just hear the opening of a jail door. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.